Hi everybody, I'm Jason Davis of the Nerd Brand Podcast, the branding and marketing from a nerd's point of view, where we talk about, well, branding and marketing. So we do this on Anchor.fm. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello? Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Nerd Band Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Davis. I'm here with Laura Burnside and Mitch Gregory, and we're going to be talking about Google Core Web Vitals and, well, what do you know? we got some more Batman news. Laura is the latest addition to our team. She's the latest nerd. Um, and so we're going to share on uh, a little bit about Core Web Vitals, what that is. Um, but first, we're going to let Mitch kind of kick it off with the news. Beep, 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 beep. Anyway. Um, <laughs> something that hit the, uh, hit the nerd news wires very early this morning, the wee hours of the morning, according to boundingintocomics.com, the rumor is that Ben Affleck will return as Batman. It's imminent, and he has a contract in hand. <gasps> yeah, I, uh, I, you know, the, the it keeps getting stranger. So, I, like I said in the last podcast, all the Batmans are coming, and I was right. Um, kind of makes me still wonder about, you know, Batman Beyond it being in the future as a cinematic release and. Other things like that, since we got Michael Keaton, you know, we end up, you know, got that news from the last podcast that we announced and talked about that a little bit. So I wonder if this has anything to do with um, another Justice League movie or a possible standalone for him. Well, that well, I mean, that's kind of what I was thinking since there's been all this recent bubbling up of the mythical uh, Snyder Cut being released on HBO Max. They maybe they feel like it's created enough interest again in the, in his contribution to the franchise that they bring him back. I mean, that's just I'm just you know trying to read the tea leaves here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's all you can do with this kind of stuff. I mean, right now, I mean, there's got it. There's really nothing that's you know to be on a sad note. Yeah, going to a theater to watch a movie is not as um, attractive right now, given the fact that some cases have increased for. Um, you know, COVID. And so sitting in a theater, um, wearing a mask for three hours, watching a movie is not appealing to me. I'm just saying, I'm just being an honest, you know, Joe Blow here that even if you sit me like three chairs away from some other guy or family or whatever, um, it's still, you know, you're in this space and you just don't know. Um, but I think that we'll see probably more online streaming. And I think the news is being trickled out to kind of keep everybody, you know, interested and glued to see what's going to happen but they're going to have to do something after the hbo which which when is the hbo release of that do uh i'm not sure that there is a concrete uh release date but i can dig a little research and see what... yeah um but you know even though i think i mean i i liked ben affleck as batman i thought he was a a really good 
you know, version of it. Um, I read a little bit after you shared the article with me this morning, I read where Robert Pattinson's Batman is still going to be released and happening, but it's going to be a standalone. And that I watched a little bit of the YouTube video that's on the site that you just plugged that, um, you know, it's a multiverse deal. It's kind of a thing. They're just being very upfront about it. Like you got Michael Keaton, you've got Robert Pattinson, you've got Ben Affleck. I mean, how many Batmans can we have? I mean, I don't think we're going to see Val Kilmer come back or George Clooney, but you know, it's just kind of gotten to that, you know, point where I think that they're going to go for it. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess maybe, I mean, since I'm not, I'm not as hardcore DC fanboys, maybe some some others. I, I were, I I wasn't quite as impressed with Affleck's Batman as maybe many others were. Um, but see, my I think it's it could be you know, maybe it's my age, maybe it's maybe it's the generation I'm from, because um, I'm still aching to see a Batman portrayed in that kind of classic. Um, Jim Aparo version, the the Denny O'Neill uh-huh. Batman, more so than the more recent kind of iterations. I mean, because what happened when the um, when the Dark Knight Returns launched? That's pretty much has been the inspiration for most iterations of Batman in recent years, which is fine as far as that goes. But his legacy goes back further than that, and I just want to see more of that quote Dark Knight detective unquote than than I want to crush skulls and blow everybody up, Batman. But that's just me. Yeah. There was a great comic um, to kind of go into this segment a bit. Uh, it was a, well, it, was a, it wasn't a comic. It was a great, it was a trade or graphic novel, whichever you would like to call them. And uh, it was called, um, oh, it wasn't year one. It was, um, and I own it too. And that's pretty sad. I've got, well, I've got, there were supposed to be three of them, but they only released two of them. But anyways, I think it's like Year Zero or something like that, um, or Earth Zero or whatever. Um, so, it, but it was a very um, organic Batman, like you're talking about. He had body armor because, I mean, you know, in this day and age, why would you not wear, um, you know, something? Uh, but the the idea was that it was there's this one panel where he's like going to try to leap from building to building. And, you know, famously Batman will chase a villain that leaps from one rooftop to another with just ease. And he does it, but he misses the rooftop and he falls into a dumpster. And then, you know, it's kind of surprising to see that because you're just kind of like, wait a minute, Batman never fails. And then he totally did. So then he makes a grappling gun and he uses a grappling gun. The grappling gun doesn't work, gets hung up. And then he, he, then he shows him, like, improving the grappling gun. And then the next time, he does make the leap, and the grappling gun, when he uses it, works. And so it's like this MacGyver-type Batman that you get to see. And it's a really well-written trade. Um, and actually makes... Uh, I didn't care how the Riddler was treated. They kind of put him in a coat with no shirt on, which I thought was just ridiculous, because... I love the Riddler with, you know, the suit, tie, jacket, just like you described from, you know, um, you know, from the Batman Beyond animated series, rather, I guess I should say. Um, but, uh, you know, they made uh, Two-Face um, became his, he has a sister and, and you know, uh, she became Two-Face and her brother died. So Harvey Dent dead. She becomes that, but it becomes more psychological, like a, like a, demonic possession type of thing, you know, where her voice just completely drops out and sounds like Harvey Dent. And, you know, 
it's a great run, you know, and, but I, I like, I like stuff like that because as much as I personally, and, and I like to hear what y'all think, I did, I, I liked Christian Bale and his Batman up until, you know, I didn't care for rises at all. Um, but cause I kind of felt like it got too biker Batman. <laughs> um, and a little bit too much about the gadgets to solve the problems and, you know, not enough of like, uh, you know, I mean, he quit eight years. Let's be, let's be real here. You know, over the death of his girlfriend, he stopped being Batman because of that, not because of his parents, like never mind, mom and dad were murdered and he became Batman in the first place. Once the girlfriend's killed, now he's just done. You know, none of that made sense to me, but anyway. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, I've always been less a fan of Batman as James Bond than Batman as, you know, film noir detective. I mean, that's where his roots are. So that's, I'm still waiting to see that happen. Um, there's a, I can't remember if we've talked about this before, but there was a fan film that came out like it's been over a decade ago. Um, it was called Batman Dead End. Yes, I know that one. That's good. That was a good one. And it, and and I don't want to give too much away, but it's Batman. And he's and he's you know he's chasing the Joker. And again, this is fan made, but the quality of it's just outstanding. If any of you out there are interested, just go to YouTube and look up Batman Dead End. It's 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 pretty famous among us nerd circles. Um, I, uh, why am I thinking the guy's name that did it was Sandy Corolla or something like that was the guy that that produced it anyway, but it, there's a, uh, he's ch- Batman's chasing the Joker and he's in a, you know, kind of a dank, wet, dark alley, just like you would want a setting. You would just ideally want to see Batman in, mm-hmm. but there's a twist about halfway through or yeah. about three quarters of the way through. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, they the, made the three. Suit, yeah. The suit is perfect. The mood is perfect. I just don't understand why they can't just bottle that and do a full film that, that carries that same feel. Well, you know, maybe we'll get it. Maybe it's still out there and still a possibility. If they do the multiverse, then, you know, you could have, you could have anybody as Batman, you know, I mean, you can have a CGI Roger Moore show up. Laura, <laughs> 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 were you ever a Batman fan or a comic fan of anything? No, I mean, I the only the only Batman that I ever watched was Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. That's the only movie I ever saw, and Sounds I still remember. Still the, the best. Still the, the best. The only <laughs> the only scene that really made an impression on me is when he um, he shoots his grappling hook up, and he's gonna haul Kim Basinger up, and he asks her how much she weighs, and then he tells her she she lied when he got, yeah. got to the top. <laughs> That Batman was funny to me because here's a guy, he can't, obviously because of the suit and the technology at the time, he can't move. And you've got a Batman that's supposed to be like, I think every film, everybody's going to find something wrong with it. And so for this one, for me, is the fighting, um, you know, is, is he just doesn't have the ability to, if he doesn't have the ability to turn his neck, he sure as heck don't have the ability to like do a kick uh, in a way that, you know, you would expect a fighter to, depending on his fighting style to begin with anyway. Um, I did like and appreciate Christopher Nolan's approach with the fighting style being a typical type of fighting style. The the problem is I don't think they shot they didn't shoot it very well. No, especially in the first especially in the first Nolan film, it was like everything was too close and you couldn't really tell what was happening. You couldn't yeah. really take in and enjoy the choreography of the fights. 
which is why Ben Affleck to me with a scene that they did was much, much better. Um, you could see it, you could see what was happening and it, it really, you knew they took it and looked at Arkham Asylum and or the video games and, and, the, and the engine that was running that and going, Oh, maybe we can do that in the movies. So. Yeah, I am a fan. I haven't, pl- I have played all of those games and I have to say I'm a fan. It's, they're pretty well done. Yeah. There's a trailer out that came out for one of them that I watched it and I was like, why can't this be a movie? I was kind of like you in that camp of that. You get these little keyhole views of what, you know, this character could be like and could be done with. And, you know, it's, that's all you get. And you kind of have to be like, okay, well, you know, I mean, it's a comic character to begin with. So, you know, we got like five years of an animated series that was, that's unheard of. Uh, for an animated series to go that long, you know, um, Batman Beyond made it three, maybe about two and a half, maybe three and a half. Um, so, and some of the animated movies, I don't know. Have y'all seen, do y'all have a favorite Batman animated movie? Have you I, seen I, any? I haven't, I think I've, um, I, I've seen Mask of the Phantasm mainly because that's based on an actual comic book run that was done, um, in the nineties, I think, or late eighties. Uh, I'm kind of partial to that run. It's interesting. So it's got, um, uh, halfway through it's got, it, it changes artists, but, um, it's actually very, very well done. That's the only animated film I've seen. I did watch occasionally the animated series, um, which was nice. Um, yeah. And it's well, kind of made, kind of made Bruce Tim a household word. Yeah. Well, a lot of the movies that, like Massive Phantasm, using the same universe as the animated series, was brilliantly done. They tied it into Batman Beyond, and it's kind of just kind of been the staple, you know, universe when you see something animated because you've got Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill, their voices, and having an alternative timeline without those voices in it seems a little odd, but it's been more accepted lately with, you know, um, with what they've done. Uh, but I... I like Gotham by Gaslight. I still maintain that's probably one of the best ones I've seen. Um, my issue that I've stated before on the podcast with you know any animated movie for these things is that they don't. The third act seems to fall apart in DC. You know, um, I don't know what Marvel does to keep their third acts both cinematically moving, and maybe there's some animation out there that doesn't work in the third act as well. I've seen a few. Avenger um, animation movies and, and they all seem to wrap up pretty well and make sense. But DC sort of ends up like, I don't know. It's like they ran out of ideas. It's like, all right, we'll just turn off all the lights and do this thing. Or we'll just make a force field appear. You know, (laughs) 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 I'm just like, what? (laughs) No, that's not how this is supposed to. That's not how this works. It's not how any of this works. Um, so, all right, well, Thanks for the news, Mitch. Hey, no problem. We aim to please. Yeah, yeah. We brought some nerd news for the to live up to our name, nerd brand. And let's hope they don't beat to death that franchise and that brand to the point where none of we're already getting sick of hearing about it. So is that Mitch's new title? Uh, nerd news anchor. Yeah, he'll be. He's our nerd. Yeah, he's going to be our <laughs> nerd news anchor uh, since he's got a pretty vast library there and is noggin about some stuff. Um, mine is mostly just movies and things like that. I mean, I'm, you know, I didn't dive into the comics as hard as I think as he did. I def- definitely don't have the, um, depth of video games or things like that. 
Um, I, I collected a lot of trades, but most of the trades that I collected were of Batman. So my, my guy was Grant Morrison and, um, still is, you know, um, there's some works that he did that I felt were, meh. but other than that, I mean, that's kind of what I was, that's where I was living. So, but yeah, that's the nerd news. Do, 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 do. No, so. <laughs> no, beep, 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 beep. Right, sorry, yeah, get it right, Jason. Get it right. That almost sounded like Roadrunner. That's more of a meep, meep, beep, beep. Anyway, let's not get into the physics of meeps. What so have I done? If we do a teaser of the podcast, we're going to cut this part out and do that. Well, this is what the teaser will be. Um, all right, on to the brand segment. So uh, over the past, I don't know, how long has this been going on? About a month or so, Google's kind of been hinting about new standards that are going to affect SEO signals. And that's kind of what everybody latched onto. But it's really about quality sites. You know, it's about, you know, giving a good experience for people using those sites. And so to kind of frame up for Laura introduces Google Core Web Vitals and what she's got on it is that, how many people think about this have gone to a website and the thing is just taking forever to load, jerking around, all these notifications are popping up in your face and all you wanted to do was to figure out how to make a chicken casserole. <laughs> I can raise my hand on that one every single time, every time I want to do a recipe because lately I've, ha I've got to change my diet or I'm going to die. That's basically my options, either become a vegan or heart attack and death. So I was like, okay, so I'm looking at vegetarian meals and, and all that. Though it didn't stop me from getting fish at Moby Dick's the other day, I'll be honest with you. Mm. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it was calling to me. I couldn't help it. No, I'm a very weak-minded person in that way. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's very annoying to go to a website and to be asked if you want notifications, if you want a pop-up, accept cookies, all these things you, you feel like are getting pressed in on you. And the screen that you have the real estate's being taken up. It takes forever for it to load because of all these things that keep coming up. And uh, the screen keeps jerking and jumping around as that's happening for the ads that will show up on the side when you're in the middle of reading something. So um, Google is launching their campaign against that. And so tell us a little bit about Google Core Web Vitals, Laura. Well, um, on top of the, the current Web Vitals, which is mainly be mobile friendly and um, I've already beat my bandwagon, I think, about what mobile-friendly is and isn't. Um, I've had people actually tell me that, well, my website's mobile-friendly, and I call it up on my phone, and it's the size of a postage stamp. <laughs> and I'm like, that? No. Not mobile-friendly. <laughs> you should never have to pinch and zoom to use it. <laughs> no. And so, you know, trying to evangelize that what mobile friendliness is and then um you know what http is versus safe browsing and you know just some of those nuances um and you know in this age of diyers you know um we're we're seeing a prevalence of of things like weebly and wix and and squarespace and you know all these little hey you can build your own website you don't need a professional um, but it kind of, and for some reason, YouTube has singled me out. And every time I try to watch something on YouTube, it feeds me a Wix commercial and it just infuriates me. 
<laughs> well, well, they're dumping they're dumping a large amount of money in marketing right now. Is why. Um, well, which I found extremely interesting because if you do a Google search, they aren't talking about Core Web Vitals at all. Mm-mm. No, they, they are. Can't. They are like, mm, no, we're not going there. Uh-uh. And then, um, you know, none of none of those kinds of CMSs are. I, I searched for all of them, and none of them are discussing Core Web Vitals, with the exception of Shopify. Right. Um, Shopify is looking at their page speeds, but the sad thing is that their page speeds depend solely on the theme you choose. And the page speed scores ranged anywhere from 15 to 95, which 15 is in the deep end of the suck pool. <laughs> <laughs> It's not, even, it's not even an F. It's like an F minus. It's like if your teacher gave you a grade and it's an F minus, you would just probably look at you and go, I'm not even going to put a letter on this just because it's so bad. Yeah, you're, you're drowning in suck. Go away. Yeah. Drowning in suck. <laughs> if there's one for the quote, we're going to put that on T-shirts and sell it. I don't ever want to go to there. <laughs> it's a bad place. But, um, you know, I, I took a look and... Basically, from April to June, the majority of the Shopify themes plummeted about 50% yeah. in their page scores, in their page speed scores. So um, one, of, one of their sites was even, or their themes was even over 60%. It dropped. So the way that, that Core Web Vitals is analyzing the page speeds and um, taking into account the actual user experience, it's going to be bad on some of these CMSs. It's, yeah. it's really going to cut their throats. Yeah. It's going to land um, like, it's going to land like a rock so terribly for them because they, they've put, I mean, when you have an open source platform, I think it kind of helps because you can like with WordPress, you can kind of direct resources to that like they did with Gutenberg. But um, when you get like something like this that comes along, I mean, I'm not I'm not seeing with WordPress theme developers and plugin developers. It's they're kind of like, eh, not my problem, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, as well. So, and I think you know, with any content management system, you're going to find that your website's only as good as the theme that you plug into it. Um, that that is going to be the foundation that you build your house on. And if it's cracked from the get-go, your house is going to fall down. You know, so it's it's one of those things that you've got to be careful whose code you're relying on. And you need to make sure that you choose reputable sources for those themes. And, you know, you need to look at reviews and dig into a theme before you choose it. Yeah, yeah. Shopify themes kind of run... Um, I've seen about 200 bucks. There's some free ones that obviously you don't want to get near because I feel like the SEO on them. And when I say SEO on them in this way, I mean that the technical aspects, how it's coded, all the things that we're discussing is not going to be advantageous for you to take advantage of. If you just need to get something quick and started, I understand as a business owner, you know, you don't have a lot of money to spend, but I think if you don't have at least $2,000 to spend to get a website built and made of some sort of quality for yourself, 
then you're obviously you're already heading down a path where you're going to be spending actually more money in the long run because right. now you've now you've got to reverse engineer or backtrack. And we've got a couple of customers that are that way. They, you know, they they even if they buy a two hundred dollar theme, it doesn't mean that theme is within spec for you know Google. Google monitors a site all the time. I deal all day with console stuff coming up in that says, hey, this site has an error on it. Google detects this and I gotta submit it to a fix. And that's that's just a routine that just goes on. You gotta stay on top of those things as they come up. The better quality the site, the less those things happen. Yeah, I think I only saw about less than ten Shopify themes that scored anywhere in the nineties. Yeah. I, I'm concerned with, you know, I think the community with WordPress, with both themes and uh, themers and plug-in developers, they're going to have to address it. But, you know, you have to, you know, people listening have to realize that you get what you pay for is still a very true statement. Um, and the, the big nuance that, that I took away from um, a lot of the, the conferences and things that I've been attending is Core Web Vitals. Um, Google has always done this secret, you know, they're like the secret agents. They slip in and they change everything and then you have to figure out that they were there. Yeah. And and they're not doing that now. Um, Core Web Vitals will announce an annual update and tweaks in May of each year going forward. So about the time of their big conference in the summer, um, they are going to update the core web vitals according to their learnings from the year before. So if you don't stay on top of those changes and stay on top of what's happening and monitor your site and know how to make improvements, then you're just going to start sinking. And um, that's the hard part about trying to do a website for yourself when you're trying to run your own business, you're trying to manage your employees, you're trying to manage cash flow, you're trying to manage your product, uh -huh. you've got you've got your hands in so many pots, and yet you still have almost a full time job in trying to maintain and do what's best with your website for it to actually do its job. Right. You know, it's it's not. Um, you know, with over two and a half billion sites in the world. You, you can't just, oh, well, I built a website, it's there, the people will come. No, they don't, they can't find it. They have to, to find it in order for it to do you any good at all. And so you have to be showing up in the search engines and you have to, you have to be streamlining your site for what you're trying to sell. Um, I know when I first got into to web building and development, um, you know, keyword stuffing and all this fluff content, you know, the bigger your site was, the better. And, you know, you'd have a, a check cashing company that had articles and blogs on ways to prevent foot fungus, you know, just because. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Another place I don't want to go. <laughs> And another slogan for another T-shirt. <laughs> well, and they would do that just because they wanted their site to show up in the searches for mm -hmm. just anything. You searched for anything, and they wanted their site to show up. I knew and a guy so, who did that a lot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, and it's ridiculous because then, you know, the person that's actually looking for that solution 
comes to your site and it's like, wah, wah, wah. That's not what I came here for, you know? And then they're trying to push, you know, check cashing sales and things like that in front of them with those stupid pop-ups. And yeah, it's, you know, you have to stay on subject now. I mean, Google is making that very, very clear that you have to have a direct audience that you are targeting for every single page of your website. You can't vary from that. You know, every page has a subject. It has keywords and you stick to those keywords for that page. And um, that's that's one of the main things that they have said for user experience. Yeah, I feel like the, I, I think it's a good thing because um, not because of I think agencies will see maybe a surge in business because of it from it from businesses needing help. But I think mostly it's going to be because that that it benefits the users out there who are looking for information. Like you said, you know, it gets rid of all the gunk that's kind of built up. I mean, a while a long time ago, I said there was some sort of like content bubble going to pop because so many people, I mean, there's so much being generated and put out there now and it's just a massive, I mean, YouTube alone, how many videos are uploaded daily is crazy. Yeah. Um, and so you have to think about like how, who has the time to watch all of that? You know, that no one does. I mean, you know, if you look at like $1 trillion and you break that down to 1 trillion seconds, that's 32,000 years. So it's not possible. <laughs> So you have to like, there has to be something that filters out the crap in order to get to the gold that you want. And uh, I think that Google's doing a good thing by doing this. I do think it's going to create a lot of headaches for businesses and agencies and just everyone that has a website and they're going to, like you said, yeah, they're gonna, it's going to hurt. It's going to cut their throat. Well, do you uh, want me to, do you want me to cover the, um, the things that negatively, negative, negatively, my tongue is tied up today. Um, that negatively impact these three new core vitals. Yeah, go for it. Um, okay, so these are things that this is exactly what Google is looking for, and this is what they will dock you for. Um, so basically, let's start with cumulative layout shift, okay? Because that seems to be the dead horse that they're beating the most. They are sick and tired of these ads that pop up in the middle of your text and move what you were trying to read. You lost your place and then you're trying to scroll and find what you were reading. Um, you know, the, I think they really are targeting all of these crazy ads that are showing up all, all over web pages. That's, that seems to be the one thing um, that I think touches every single one of the new core vitals is how ads are handled on a web page. Um, so that's going to be really, really important. And again, I mean, I have my own dead horse to beat. Um, <laughs> Wix and Weebly and Squarespace, they survive off of these ads because they're, they are so low cost. They've got to get their money from somewhere. And so that money is coming from these ads that pop up. And a lot of, you know, the less you pay for your website, the less control you have over what ads are being injected into your site. So the biggest hit on their list is layout shift. And things that make that um, happen is images without dimensions, ads, embeds, and iframes without dimensions, dynamically injected content, which we were just talking about ads, 
and um, fonts that cause flashing when they're invisible or unstyled yet. Um, so the ways to improve that would be developers will need to reserve space for images and embeds and iframes by setting heights and widths. Now the new thing is they need to do that with aspect ratios. So there's changes to CSS coming along with this as well because um, you know you can't just pop in there 100% width auto height because that's going to cause layout shifts. So you now have to set widths and you have to pick an aspect ratio. And by doing that, you eliminate these shifts. Also, though, what does that do on mobile responsiveness? Because if you have something that's 100 wide and height auto, typically it adjusts itself to the container that it's nested in. Yes, because the browsers have a um, the browsers have some CSS written in them that translates that aspect ratio. And mm -hmm. that's why you have to use the aspect ratio, because, yes, I've set my um, my image size to 640 by 320 or, or whatever. And as long as I've chosen, you know, a 16 by nine seems to be the popular uh, aspect ratio because most everything is a widescreen now. So if you've chosen a 16 by nine aspect ratio, you set your um, height and width. And then there's this nice little calculation that you put in your CSS now that, um, you know, you tell it, how wide you want it and then 16 by nine times 16 by nine and it, it does the aspect ratio thing. Um, and then the browser can interpret that and drop it down to the size it needs to be to fit on the, the mobile screen. So the browsers are trying to play nice with this. They really are. Um, especially, you know, of course, Chrome is going to keep theirs cutting edge of what they're doing. You know, they're going to make that match and there's, um, Chrome is 80, Chrome 84, I think it is, is coming out in the next couple of weeks. And it's going to have these new dev tools in it that, um, you know, you can on the fly see your performance and it'll, it'll point out content layout shifts and it'll, um, it'll point out which item is your largest contentful paint and it'll tell you what's your first input delay and it gives you pointers on the fly as to how to improve your site performance. But again, a DIYer isn't going to really know how to use that tool to the best of their advantage, you know? So um, another thing that you can do to improve your, your content layout shift is adopt a skeleton pattern. Um, so you render something, it's, it's how you make up for lazy loading. Um, so you have a, a skeleton in there that kind of reserves the space and it pulls in something like that's that's low resolution and, and quick to load like a colored block that emulates the background color of the picture um, that's about to load. And then, um, you know, that way it keeps the, the content from shifting as it lazy loads. Um, and the main concern is anything that I, I really hate the term, but above the fold. Um, so anything that is in the immediate viewport, when you open a website, that's going to be your hottest priority. Um, when those things load and, um, you know, how it loads, that stuff has got to be on point. You know, if things are, are loading a little lazier outside of that viewport, 
you're, you're okay. Um, but in the viewport is vital. You've, you've got to keep things from shifting and you've got to get it to load fast. Yeah. And in the viewport to kind of dumb that down, it's just whatever the screen you're on, the screen size, I guess we could just honestly kind of say that for those that are not. Yeah. And those big, those big hero images, um, I think you're going to start to see those go away because those take a little bit to load and um, they can hit performance if you're not careful. Um, The other thing is you want to avoid inserting new content above existing content um, unless it is a response to a user interaction. So, um, you know, like if you have a late loading ad that shoves your navigation down or you have um, some sort of promotional banner that loads afterwards and it shoves the hero image down, anything that moves anything in that viewport, you're not going to want that. So if you want a promotional banner or if you've got an ad space, you need to have that space reserved and have it sitting there open and ready to, to be filled. Um, so that's the important things for, for content layout shift. Huh. Um, the, the next thing is the, the largest contentful paint, LCP. Um, so what affects this the most is slow server response times render blocking JavaScript and CSS, slow resource load times, client-side rendering, and elements like images, videos, video poster images, block level elements containing text nodes or other inline level elements. Um, So the way to improve those is you wanna defer any non-critical scripting that's loading up. Um, You want that to, you wanna move it so that it loads later if you don't absolutely need it. Um, That's going to be, you know, again, anything that's above the fold. If um, they're even doing a a fancy little thing now where they will extract any of the the JavaScript and CSS that only pertains to the viewport on first load and put that in a separate file and they load that up first and then later, like in the footer or something, they call the, the rest of the JavaScript and CSS that, that fills up the page. So that's um, one of the ways that, that developers are starting to get around that, that load time. Um, huh. Optimizing your server response times. You got to identify your slow API responses. If you've got infrastructure issues, if your web host is just terrible, um, you want to seek out issues with your plugins. You want to um, reduce your page sizes. You want to get rid of any poorly optimized scripts or, or optimize them better. Um, inadequate bandwidth is a, a big killer. Um, so, you, you know, that's again, you've got to be really mobile friendly so that your bandwidth stays good. Um, and insufficient server resources. Um, that's typically like if you've got a shared server, um, a lot of times, again, hitting on Wix. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's my favorite one to hit on because there are always ads in my face. Um, <laughs> so they will, they'll pile numerous websites on one server. And, you know, depending, especially like um, if you've got maybe some 
blog or video or something that somebody has posted and it goes viral and that server just starts getting hit. Well, then all the other websites on that server suffer the consequences and they are going to experience slow load times and sometimes outages because if it's viral enough, it could just absolutely bring the server to its knees and shut it down. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that shared servers, and again, it comes back to your hosting and how you've chosen to place your site on a server. Um, again, the cheaper the, the hosting, the more likely it is that you're gonna be on one of these overtaxed servers. Um, so you just wanna be mindful of that. Um, avoid creating website pages that are directly in the browser. They're, they're they're usually dynamically built right in the browser in front of your face. So you want to avoid that these days um, because that is going to, that's going to slow your server response time. Um, so that's going to give you a hit in the LCP area. Um, the, the big one that Google mentioned over and over was optimize your images and other block level elements. Um, they're really encouraging you to an, adopt an image CDN and you know, for those of you that are a little newer to development, an image CDN, um, its servers strategically position, it's got them all over the globe so that there's one that's closer to you to pull from. Um, and these servers detect devices and cache the optimized image for that device. And then when a similar device requests the image again, then the CDN responds immediately with that already cached image. So it serves it up super fast. Um, Another thing you have to do is compress your images. You've got to get those images smaller. Um, trim your image sizes. Are they higher resolution or larger than you really need them? Um, some folks are, they're really making their images much too large for the eye to actually perceive how high res they are. Um, you know, so like a retina screen, <clears throat> they think mm -hmm. that they have to make them three times as big and, and twice as pixel deep in order to really fully appreciate the image, but the eye cannot perceive from the screen the full resolution of, of the image anyway. And so you're just kind of wasting bandwidth and you're wasting space on your server. So you <laughs> want to trim, <laughs> you want to trim your image sizes, and then you want to tune any lazy loading to avoid off-screen image requesting. Um, so your lazy load, um, if it's trying to pull in things that aren't in that immediate viewport, then you want to you want to get your lazy loading to ignore those. So that's largest contentful paint. Jim? Wow. <laughs> so basically, uh, you know, if you don't have extensive knowledge on web development and how the internet works and these things. Um, I can tell you as a business owner, um, I've been a developer for about 10 years uh, or more now, actually 12, and um, particularly in WordPress and development and themes. Um, and so and moving into now owning a business and running one as its manager and such, um, I don't have time to keep up with all of this anymore. Um, I would like to because it's still at my core part of what I do. I still have a lot of input on what happens with web and things like that. But for those listeners, you can see if you're a business owner, this is way too much for you to be working on. I, I, I do more 
administrative tasks, uh, assist sales and account management, and manage the paperwork for the company for payroll and other things, coordinating with payroll companies and CPAs than I do have time to get into this. So even the podcast, sadly, is something that, you know, I, I love doing and I, I'm going to continue to do it, but I'm starting to release certain aspects of it to others because, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's not going to come out very good quality if, if I continue uh, to do that. So if you're a business owner and you're trying to do it all via DIY or your business will suffer on the bottom line at the end of the month. Right. And we, we uh, didn't even cover first input delay. First input delay is all about backend scripting and, you know, all that stuff that a DIYer is not even going to be able to touch, let alone, you know, do anything about. <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, um, first off, all that script execution and bundles and, and all that kind of stuff, um, it's going to be over your head. You know, you're not going to understand what it does. And, and that's, no knock toward anyone half the time. I don't even know what, <laughs> what it does. <laughs> and I'm like, do I really need that? What is that there for? And so, you know, the first input delay is, is also going to be a huge impact and only a developer can help you with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's getting back to, you know, like what I said, it's getting back to where it takes a village to, to do it now. A lot of, I think, uh, things that have happened out there is that we're going to hire a person who's going to take care of all of this and uh, we're going to make them our, our marketing person. We're going to make them our whatever. And I don't want to kind of sound mean or, or abrasive, but you know, that poor person will never sleep <laughs> and they'll, they'll never have time to go and eat a sandwich. Um, and because, you know, the, the, it may seem like they're taking care of it all, but they can't, it's not possible. And it's just an unrealistic expectation, right. which is why that if you're that person and hopefully if you're listening to this, then please talk to us. We'll be happy to help you. It's not us taking your job. It's us helping enhance what it is that you do. Um, because it's, this is a monster that's coming and it's coming. It looks like May, 2021 is when it's going to hit. So a lot of the what I'm seeing is page speed insights you can go to and start looking at this right now. But if you go through your Google console, it's just going to redirect you to page speed insights. So the actual reports are not currently available within the console. Um, so when that happens, the gun's gone off and it's there it is. It's live. Well, they have um, if you update Chrome, I, I think it may be the Canary version, um, but they do have Lighthouse in the dev tools mm. now. So you can get a very high level view of these metrics, um, but it's not gonna dig into it the way the next one coming will. Yeah, well, there you go. I mean, it's, it's getting updated every day. <laughs> yep. Uh, they are, they're racing toward that finish line to get it done. Um, you know, they had a major algorithm change back in May, a bit of an oopsie occurred, they admitted that. So probably about later in this month, They'll release the fixes on that, so there'll be another one, and then it's all going to line up to to culminate to this to this head to you know fix your websites, folks, because it is going to impact your ranking scores. Uh, some sites have had huge drops since April that many SEO experts, I think, are still trying to figure out what happened. Yeah, um, but you know you have to look at it though from you know who are we building these sites for? We're building them for our customers. We're building them for the user. And, you know, 
as a user myself, you want a good experience when you go to a website. You want to enjoy a website. You want to be able to find what you're looking for and, and you want it to be, you, you don't want to be tearing your hair out by the time you leave the website. So, right. you know, you want that for your users. And that's all Google is trying to, to get us to is to stop worrying about, you know, cramming a sale down somebody's throat when they don't want it. Um, you know, because in the past, web developers, we we have been tasked with being that salesman that shoves his foot in the door, you know, mm-hmm. and nobody likes that. Nobody wants to be forced to do things. And, you know, that's why we have, you know, you have to have your COVID announcement. You have to have your cookies announcement. You have to have your privacy policy announcement. All those things are required now. And by the way, those kinds of pop-ups will not impact your uh, score with Google. So (laughs) those are the only ones that won't. When you have a a full screen takeover or when you have an ad pop-up or a video that suddenly takes over the over the screen, those are going to negatively, negatively impact you. But, um, you know, the little, the little pop-ups that say, Hey, we use cookies, say yes. Um, you know, or we've updated our privacy policy or, Hey, we've changed our hours because of COVID those kind of things. Um, they will not impact you at all. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it's a very big world in web. And, um, you know, it's, it's only going to get bigger as, as the web itself increases, uh, depending on the platform you choose on. Like you mentioned, uh, about, you know, Shopify is the only one that seems to be looking at this. Um, it's a bit of a disappointment that they are and not WordPress or others. Um, and I kind of get it in a way. I mean, WordPress is open source and in those terms, it's, like I said, its focus has been Gutenberg and its new editor. Um, I think that once some of those things are settled down, some of those bugs are worked out, which could take a year from now, um, you end up, you know, having other things in WordPress that um, haven't gotten as much attention to compete with Shopify like WooCommerce. But I could be wrong. Um, you know, you have 700 contributors on every release. I think it's down to 400 now or something like that uh, for core. And we have another core update coming up here pretty soon for it. So it'd be interesting to see if, if WordPress does something. Now there is, Google has, then does participate in the WordPress community with its own plugins. Um, but it's very ironic to me though, that in all of this to kind of be on the other side of the aisle a bit. Um, I've always had a problem with Google analytics or any Google product that is loaded on the site for marketing or, or, or SEO or analytics too cause more problems with load and speed that actually would create negative scores and put us into the Suckville arena that you stated <laughs> earlier. Uh, so it's kind of like, they're kind of not, they're kind of hypocritical, you know, about, yeah. you know, I think some of that, that they need to get analytics more in line and not put it on developers to try to go through the leaps and hurdles of, you know, loading something asynchronously or whatever. It, it just, it really is kind of an issue, especially Google tag manager. Yeah, They made it sound like they have a new, uh, a new tool, a new plugin that is the official Google um, for core metrics. Um, it's mm-hmm. it's called SiteKit, and it's the yeah. the official plugin. And um, you know you have to log into it with your Google ID, or it's it says it doesn't know who you are. Um, so it's you know it's very proprietary, but at the same time, it 
works very closely with the core web vitals. So I'm kind of anxious to see, um, maybe, <laughs> you know, I, here's the cynic in me coming out. Maybe if you have SiteKit on your WordPress site, then Google is like, ah, we like you, you know? Um, I don't know if that's, that's going to be something that may come into play or not. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see it come to life. Yeah, I've, I've messed with Core Web Vitals before. <laughs> I took it off the site um, due to, believe it or not, a conflict. <laughs> with, yeah, with another plugin. Um, Wouldn't and, be the first time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's only so many you can load up. I mean, we, we run, um, we like, you know, for our analytics, I mean, I, <clears throat> our CMO, Jonathan, would, you know, crucify me for this. But, you know, if I took off Google Analytics, we could run what we run with HubSpot. Um, but, uh, you know, right now that's not an advised thing to do and I'm not advising anybody do that. But, you know, when you, my point is like, you keep adding more and more things to monitor. Like I logged into one site that had tag manager analytics, um, HubSpot. It had two or three other third party tools and, uh, call rail as well for phone calls. And I was just thinking to myself, like, that's, that's a lot of things. You know, well, I think that's what happens. probably aren't declared very well. <laughs> that's what happens when um, it, it, I call it shiny object syndrome. Um, you know, they they see something, they read about it. Oh, oh, gosh, we just really need that and load it up. And it doesn't matter if you already have a tool that is working well to do that. It's, you know, well, there's this new tool. We need to use this new tool. And it's it just becomes this. um snowball essentially where you just keep adding things to it because you know this higher up wants this one and that higher up wants that one and you know you're just there to do your job so you don't argue with them yeah <laughs> you know it's it, 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 there's give and take for everything um you know plugins can can be overutilized um yes they can make your life easier but at the same time they can also trip you up pretty hard yeah. Well, I mean, I, that's, I, there was a years ago, I went to go work, uh, get a job at a place and they wanted somebody that could do what I do. And I thought, well, great, you know, I'll do it. And the salary money was really good. And I walked away from it and I had a job that was probably $20,000 less a year, you know, in comparison. So, I mean, it was going to be quite a significant income jump for me to go there. So most people would say like, why would you not take it? Well, I would have, I, I would have been a slave to about four or five masters yeah. in that, in that, in that organization, because, um, all four or five of these ladies were considered in their arena marketing, uh, directors. And so they were doing designs and creating, um, content to be placed on the website. So at the end of the day, I was basically an overpaid website administrator. I was not actually, um, a professional consultant that was coming in lending advice to do and learn things like what you just disclosed here. And I think that's the danger that many people that look at web, they just need somebody to punch in on the keyboard in order to make the site update happen or whatever. It is. Um, that, that's There's so much more going on. That's extremely unfortunate because I, I've been in those shoes a lot where, you know, you're hired in because they want your expertise. They want you to lead them out of the pits. You know, they want you to, you know, cut off at the pass anything that's a bad idea. But then when you 
offer up your expertise and you say, you know, hey, this is where that's going to go. They're like, shut up and sit down and do what I told you, told you to do. Yeah, you know, it so. can be that way. <laughs> yeah, there's been many places I've, I've mm-hmm. over the years, I've heard, I, you know, talking with developers directly, um, you know, and I'm not going to ever disclose the places that they discuss with me, but they, I've not had any positive, you know, stories. I mean, it's been maybe one or two had a positive story, but other than that, it's been mostly negative. I mean, um, you know, these people, they've spent their lives dedicated like 10 years plus in anything or even five years in anything plus, you know, that's a really long time to be in something. That's a career. And, you know, that, that puts you in the sphere of, you know, I'm not doing this now to get to something else later when, until I earn a degree or get my certificate or whatever it is, you know, on my way to something else. Um, this is what I want to do. And so they've spent a lot of their life dedicated to that. And, and they've been hurt emotionally by, you know, working at places that have drained from them the uh, enthusiasm and the passion that they have for what they do. And I think a lot of that also is, too, that, you know, we all get caught up in the um, engine of society where we have to run and run and run and we forget our passion on why we do things in the first place. Well, I think that's one of the, the super unfortunate things is that web developers, I don't know of a more passionate group um, than web developers. They, mm-hmm. they would work for free just because they love it. And, you know, for, for you to turn a developer from just oh man, I'm going to do this on that site and I'm going to streamline this. And, you know, you, you break their excitement until they just dread coming to work every day. Right. That is, that is tragic really, because um, I don't know of a web developer that doesn't just absolutely love what they do. Yeah. Well, and it happens across multiple disciplines. I mean, it happened to graphic designers pretty heavily. I think it's happening to marketers now because everything's kind of shifted to focus on marketing so much. Um, I met with some people that a while back that they were meeting with the firm that was going to do branding for them and everything they were describing was not branding. It was marketing. And I was kind of like sitting there and I kind of wish I hadn't mentioned the room to kind of clear up the air about it because everything they were saying obviously was wrong. (laughs) And, and, uh, yeah, because I mean, you know, branding and this may set Mitch off here, but you know, (laughs) branding is not marketing. Mitch, would you like to, do you want to like really quickly Say why your well, your well, elevator well, version? Well, without without I mean without getting into getting too much in the weeds here, I mean they're two two sides of the same coin. They affect one another, but they are not. You're not performing the same function when you're branding when you're marketing. Branding is a component in marketing because branding is the persona that you place on your on your thing, your your product, service, your business. It's the face you put on it. It's the personality you give it. It's, it's the attitude it carries. All of those things affect your marketing, but your marketing is the activity that takes place to promote the brand. So, I mean, that's kind of a Reader's Digest condensed version of the difference. Yeah. And so a lot of people latch onto a thing, and we've talked about that before. And web seems to eat it. Web sits in a strange place where nobody really knows how to qualify it. I worked at a big company that had... 200 plus employees. They worked in higher ed, very profitable company startup. And 
they could not figure out where to put the web guys. And I was one half of that equation. It was me and another guy. And uh, we, you know, before I got there, I was told that, that they were shut, that that department was shoved into the marketing department. And then it was moved over into, you know, the back end development IT department. And then they kind of then finally said, okay, we're going to put you in creative. You know, you're a part of creative. And it's like, web is sort of like, what do I do with you? You're this oddball carrying around a laptop and, you know, what, what, where do you sit? Where do we put you and what, how do we classify? And a lot of that has to do with payroll reasons, you know, in payroll, you have to have departments to kind of help things make sense at the end of the year. But, you know, you kind of look at it and you go, what do I do with this person? And, and I see them move web around like a vagabond just constantly. <laughs> right. Right. And unfortunately, um, most of the time, the, the designers and the web developers have to work closely together but typically they're such different animals that they don't get along, mm -hmm. you know? And so I know that I've had to serve as liaison quite a few times um, between designers and web developers. Since I fall on both sides of the fence, I can talk to both sides of the fence without getting them riled up. <laughs> and it's, you, you should have your web developers in close proximity to your designers, but you got to be careful about their, the, the culture and the environment when you do that. You've got to make sure that they all play nice. Well, it's like you said, um, web developers and anybody in web, they're very passionate and passion is fine. Uh, you know, again, when I met this guy, uh, he owns a business and he's a developer. I mean, he's a back end developer, software engineer is, is what he is. Very passionate, so passionate. I felt like he was attacking me verbally mm. across mm. the table and right. I was invited and I was invited by him to discuss, you know, the possibility of helping him rebrand his company uh, and, and refresh its look. And instead it turned into just, you know, this, what I felt like I was being screamed at and about how somebody a while back, you know, messed him over for this much money and how he's struggling in sales. And I'm like, again, we're not, I'm not here to consult you for business development or sales. So it's just one of, it was one of those things. And so I think that, you know, Passion not correctly measured or gauged, I guess, or controlled. Yeah, you got to be careful when you start pulling different people from different departments into a room to discuss a project because they're all going to have their take on it. And it requires somebody to kind of sit in that room to be able to um, orchestrate them well, which is really in nerd brand Mitch's job. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Called out. I mean, it is. I mean, you're the person that sits in the room, knows how to run the conversation and, you News know, anchor uh, and mediator. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's, that's it. That's, that's what a creative director I believe can help do if they have good communication skills. Um, because, you know, especially if you're a creative agency. Now, if you're a marketing agency and you got a lot of marketers, then, you know, you're going to leave that to your chief marketing officer or somebody that's in charge or marketing director. That's what Jonathan's for. Uh, plus, as an account manager, he's got excellent communication skills to begin with. But internally, you know, if it's going to be something that's going to be related to a website, an ad, branding, or something like that, the creative director should be coming in and saying, I like your idea, but, you know, and, and it's just, I, I, I kind of dealt with that in engineering. We had a guy that you know, when I first started, I was a kid. I was fresh out of college. I was actually still in college, but 
you know, I, I was sent the task to design something that uh, was going to go out onto the press brakes and be folded after it was cut out from the laser and everything. It was going to be a, a pretty part to, to encapsulate something that I can't talk about. But after that was done, uh, the guy came up who was the all shift supervisor was like, not to stifle your creativity, but, and that's kind of how you began the conversation because, you know, what I had made cannot be made. The technology is, wasn't there to fold it in that way. Mm. So there are limits that, you know, everybody's got ideas on what could be done and what can't be done. And it's okay to share those ideas. It's not okay to get upset if it doesn't come out. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of the communication piece between designers and developers. The designer doesn't always necessarily know whether something can actually happen on the web or not, mm -hmm. or how that's going to translate from one device to another, whereas the developer can can kind of anticipate that. And, you know, in a civil discussion, then you talk about, okay, um, you want this, we can't do that, but maybe we can do this. And, and you kind of massage it until you're both happy, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I was a runner between like what you described when I was working at this firm. I mean, they didn't know what to do with me. I was technically the front end developer and the only one in the building they didn't really know what front-end development was, you know, and how different it was from, you know, the rest of the types of development that's out there. I wasn't a, I could do full stack, but I don't like it. I don't want to get into full stack. I don't like SQL. I don't care for, you know, administration of a server. I don't want to spend my time doing those things. I like making, making things and, and coding. I'm, my, my favorite language is, you know, and some people may just, you know, puke, but my favorite is, C, I like CSS. I mean, it's, I spent an entire year just nothing but CSS and doing it, which is why I got, I believe, good at it because, you know, I mean, I, I was in the era when I, Internet Explorer 7 was still around, Ouch. you know? Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was one of those people that was making websites, messing with, and I was in, I was in using tables. Dot, yeah. And I was using .NET on top of that. So, ah. Yeah, and I, yeah, so I was uh, coding in .NET, which is a Microsoft uh, platform, I believe, and, mm -hmm. and I, w I was making, you know, websites for a segment that is not the best segment to do business with, but, you know, if you're, there's companies that are very successful at it, and the company I worked at was one of them. And uh, so, yeah, I spent all my time on the front end side of things, uh, making things look and work a certain way. Um, so, you know, I like front end development. I always have. Um, but I ended up having to be that person that would talk to IT, the backend developers, the programmers and the web designer and the marketers and the creative writers. And then all the time I'm looking at the creative director going, dude, where are you? Help. Yeah, <laughs> I get that. I get that. Yeah. The creative director would always walk out to me and be like, okay, so this one and that one can't get along. Can you go in there and talk to them and get them to, to play nice? And, you know, I would speak developer and then I'd go speak designer and, you know, they would realize eventually that they were saying the same things. Mm -hmm. It's just they, you know, they had their hair standing up so high that they couldn't really communicate. There's um, another one for you, Mitch. Hair standing up so high. <laughs> <laughs> well, around our house, we call it being fluffed. Because <laughs> the cat... The cat's hair stands on end and gets all fluffed up when they're mad. <laughs> yeah, it happens. Good communication within your corporation, within your company, and, and between departments, especially when this thing hits with Core Web Vitals, when it starts, there's going to be people 
customers are going to scream at companies, especially their agencies. Um, if you're managing their sites or managing SEO or marketing for them, they're going to yell at you. It's going to come. It's going to happen because they don't. Yeah, understand. it's going to be what did you do? Yeah, so account management is not going to have a fun time because account management is not going to know what's going on. So then they're going to run over to the SEO department. The SEO department is going to run and yell at the web developers. The web developers are going to yell at the SEO guys. And it could turn into this big, chaotic, screaming argument match and internally. It's, it's all going to come down to money. It's all going to come down to... It has to, yeah. Do you, do you want to pay for our services or do you want to just let your site kind of fall into oblivion right and 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 it's kind of it's a sad thing because you know you know the cost of creating a website people always wonder well how much does a site cost my question my answer to you is how much is a conversion worth to you well and uh, this is this is also the, exactly the reason why we always tout that at least every five years you should re it at minimum refresh your site if not rebuild it because yeah. technology is moving so fast that even right down to the core structure of the website has to change in order to accommodate the new technology. Yeah, the typical process that, um, that, we, that we apply that we find is more affordable of an approach is to do um, sprints. And a lot of people like hack on that. But what we're actually doing is web is in tandem with marketing. And we are actually, because once the branding and the messaging is right, once that's set, we're able to kind of start to move forward with marketing and start to design and sprint. So we're looking at user engagement and looking at all these things that Google wants people to pay attention to. And we're making adjustments to the design on the site. NerdBrand has had five iterations and is getting ready to launch a sixth. And uh, a lot of that is in response to how the brand itself and the market has changed. I mean, when we started out, the pandemic was non-existent. So when the pandemic hit, there's a lot of things we needed to change. So we, a sprint was initiated and they kind of do this kind of development in software development. So, but it's sort of like the same thing. And, and you end up looking at the data and going, okay, well, these pages aren't working. This isn't resonating. The, this isn't happening. All of that affects your SEO, by the way, still. So we go back and we make adjustments to see how that will work. Or maybe if the brand itself just needs to evolve because more people have been added, like for us. Um, you know, it's uh, understanding the new messaging, the vision. You know, it's my responsibility to give the vision to say, this is the direction, this is what we're going to do, this is what we're going to say, this is how we, I want it to sound, this is what's, you know, based on not my personal feelings, but based upon what I'm hearing and feedback from people that are prospects and customers. Then we have to transform ourselves. And so you kind of end up not... Sometimes you can do every five years, but I like the sprint idea because now you're in a marketing retainer situation because now you have a team working with your company to maintain that and work on that. Because if you do a, a thing, as Mitch is often uh, preached on by selling things, then uh, this is going to be quite expensive, a thing to fix. Mm -hmm. But if it's a holistic approach um, with every other piece that's there, um, might be more consumable budget-wise. So it's all—it's all, all got to be choreographed. It's all got to moving, be moving in a singular direction, uh, speaking the same language and expressing the same—you know—the same proposition. Yeah, and we hope to do that for customers. Is—is is, you know, meet and talk with them and say, 
tell us your story. Tell us your, why did you, why did you do this? Why did you start this company? Why do you do what you do? And, you know, why should I buy from you? If you can art- give me that, and if you can't articulate it, great. You're our kind of customer. Um, Cause that's what we do. And once you have that as a foundation, it's pretty easy to figure out. You now you can tell me why you believe that that's should be correct or why you should do it that way, you know? Um, and then we start moving through the process of that because web development and marketing come much later. If you don't have that worked out, it's really hard to kind of go from the outside in and fix those things. And uh, I feel like it's coming that a lot of folks are going to be starting from the outside because that's what they see and try to fix it working inwardly when uh, originally, you know, getting that Shopify theme or getting that commercial WordPress theme and starting to build your messaging and your company's brand around that wasn't really probably the best thing. And, you know, it was at the time, but it's a different economy now and, and people's buying behaviors are completely different now. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's time to adapt again. So, but anyways, with that said, I guess that's going to wrap up our show. Um, is there any other thoughts, things, shameless plugs, <laughs> uh, buy low, sell high. <laughs> Great job, Mitch. <laughs> I do what I can. I bring the full force of my intellect to the table in are, every podcast. Are you on Wall Street? <laughs> he not may, today. Yeah, he he's not. Yeah, he's near a cicada. Apparently, um, <laughs> heard my first one today. Yeah, summer's officially here. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a few things I got to get done in order to get, you know, this house in order uh, that I've put off too long. So my summer is going to be full of doing uh, house chores throughout the weeks and um, trying to find ways to uh, make some improvements without spending gobs of money because I can't. But that's part of owning a home. So anyways... All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, If you want to learn more, go to nerdbrandagency.com, and you can go to our blog and check it out. You can read uh, Laura's post on Google Core Web Vitals and some of the other stuff that we've said on SEO. Uh, You can check out this podcast at nerdbrandagency.com slash podcast, or go to iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify and find us there and listen there. And uh, make sure you give a like, subscribe, and uh, remember, everybody, keep your nerd brand strong.